and welcome to the Betsy Betsy Boss Podcast. Podcast. Welcome back. It is March 31st, which is International Transgender Day of Visibility. And I just want to say we are so excited and honored to bring this content to you. Um, I know that the two of us are both cisgendered, um, straight, white females, uh, if you couldn't tell by our (laughs) dorky voices. Um, But we really think it's important for us to show that we are allies to folks who might not fall into those categories, who might be a little bit different, might fall into the LGBTQ plus categories. Um, And we just are so honored to be able to be a voice for folks who might feel a little bit more voiceless, might be a little bit nervous about um, speaking their mind, being their authentic selves. We're very blessed that being ourselves just sort of comes naturally because we were born into the correct bodies um, that match up with our um, the gender that we feel most suited to. Um, But we realize that not everybody is like that. So we really, really want to um, develop the spirit of inclusion here at Betsy Boss. Um, We are a women's podcast. We speak about women's um, issues, female-centered issues. And we just want to be clear with this episode that that includes all women, not just folks who have been identified as female at birth based on their body parts. We're talking about folks who identify as female, everybody. Um, So it's important that we relay our message of acceptance and support to the trans community, especially today um, in general, and especially trans women, since this is a women's podcast. And we don't discriminate or try to decide who gets to qualify as a real woman and who gets to listen to this podcast. We hope everybody can listen and everybody can um, take something different from this podcast. And we're here. We always ask for input from all of you, the listeners. Um, And that goes double for um, our trans listeners, our any listeners who frankly fall into a different category than us, uh, listeners who are racially diverse from us, um, folks who have different religious background, just different upbringing. We want to hear as well-rounded of positions as possible so that we can give you as well-rounded of a perspective as possible. Yeah, I think uh, I agree. This is definitely as much as it's an entertainment um, venue, creating a podcast here. I think we also personally, it's a it's a personal project that we've taken on just something fun for us to do, but it's also a learning experience for us. So we're not going to know everything. We're not going to get everything right. We're going to try to do our best and try to be, you know, we try to be as respectful and understanding. But I, I know as an ally that there's definitely more that we can learn from other people and their experiences. Yeah, and we are down to learn it. So um, our inbox is always open. Our DMs are always open. We give all of our information at the end of the podcast. So stay tuned for that. Um, and we really just want to hear from you. We want to hear what you thought of today's episode. We want to hear what you would like to hear more of on future episodes. Um, yeah, let's, I guess let's just get into it. Um, since today is Trans Day of Visibility, um, this happens every year on March 31st. It's a really cool holiday. It's dedicated to celebrating trans folks and their contributions to society and basically just raising an awareness of the discrimination that transgender people face while also celebrating them. Um, This was founded in 2009 by transgender activist Rachel Crandall. 
And Ms. Crandall has consulted for corporations, government agencies, and universities. She also runs the Transgender Michigan Helpline, which is actually the first of its kind in the United States. So that's really neat. So she's really breaking a lot of ground then. Absolutely. And um, she's definitely a a voice for transgender folks. She herself is transgender. um, And she just has made these connections to help trans folks not feel so alone. Um, And she was personally upset by the lack of LGBTQ recognition of trans folks. Um, And she was especially disturbed by the fact that the only transgender-centered day at the time was Transgender Day of Remembrance. Um, And that really focused on kind of mourning the different murders of trans people. yeah, that says a lot. Yeah, and, you know, it failed to kind of acknowledge the living members of the trans community um, and to honor them to um celebrate them and transgender day of visibility is for exactly that purpose it does just that um so that's really neat um we also just want to make it clear that um today's topic centers around um surgery and sex reassignment surgery gender reassignment surgery um they're sort of synonyms for the same thing um and we just also want to make the point that um, no one is less valid in their transition based on having had or wanting surgery. Um, I know there's a lot of folks who can't afford surgery or just don't want well, it. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, even if you you don't want it because not everybody wants that, needs that to feel fully themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so um, for those folks, you know, we appreciate you. We um, understand that that's not a necessary part of everyone's journey. Um, the woman in history that we chose to focus on today that was um, an essential part of her journey and a part of her becoming her authentic self to go through with this um, SRS sex reassignment surgery Um, but again we're not trying to impose any sort of limitations on anybody we don't mean to you know yeah it's not there's not (laughs) there's more than one path you know, to finding your way and, like you said, becoming your authentic self. There's not a one-size-fits-all, just like gender is not a one-size-fits-all. So just to get into sex reassignment surgery, um, it's also known as gender reassignment surgery, and it's a surgical procedure or um, a series of procedures where a transgender person's physical appearance and the function of their existing sexual characteristics are changed so that they can match with the characteristics that are associated with the person's identified gender. Um, So basically, it's creating a physical matching of what the person feels in their mind, in their heart, um, so that the person can feel less, um, what's the word? It's dysmorphia, but as an adjective. Uh, Yeah, just so they they can feel kind of fully connected, like we've said before in this, their body uh, matches their mind, who... What they know on the inside, they're now finally seeing in the mirror. Come to fruition. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so this is just one treatment. Like we said before, um, surgery is not necessarily a part of every single person's journey. This is one treatment out of a myriad of different treatments um, for what's known as gender dysphoria in transgender people. Um, And that's essentially just the distress that a person feels due to that mismatch we were talking about between their gender identity and their assigned sex at birth. So if I was assigned female at birth, um, but I know in my heart that I'm a male and that I was meant to be a boy and not a girl, 
that mismatch um, would likely cause me a great deal of distress and anxiety. I can only imagine because, like you were saying, this is all we know is for us, it clicked and it worked and it was what it was supposed (laughs) to be. Yeah, we got lucky. You know, everything sort of matched up. Right. Um, But for a lot of people, that's not the case. And um, there's a great deal of um, panic and fear and just um, that feeling of not really belonging and um, not matching up, things not being quite right. Um, So all of those different feelings kind of go into the dysphoria um, bundle. Um, So essentially, people with gender dysphoria um, are almost always transgender, or a lot of the time are transgender. Um, And originally, the diagnosis um, was called gender identity disorder, and it was used to label people who had um, these feelings. But that name was actually dropped because of the stigma that was associated with the word disorder. So actually, I was looking into this a little bit more, and it sounds like a lot of twin studies have been done. Um, oh, yeah. and which I, I actually have an interesting you. one really? about this. I watched Oprah Lover over here, and this oh was featured God. on. There was one featured on Oprah that is super, so sad and very oh. interesting. But I'll let you go ahead I'm and, sure and super tee it up a little. Yeah, sure. Oh my gosh. So yeah, a bunch of these twin studies have been done, and um, there's concrete evidence from these studies that gender dysphoria likely has both genetic and environmental causes. Um, and yeah, I guess I'll just say as a sidebar, um, that gender dysphoria itself is a bit of a polarizing term and condition, um, in the transgender community itself, just because some people think that this diagnosis kind of pathologizes gender variance, Hmm. um, and reinforces the idea that it just falls into that binary of male versus female and is less on a spectrum. And again, we don't mean to do that so much as to acknowledge and dignify the feelings of confusion, fear, anxiety that a transgender person is faced with when they realize that their physical body doesn't match up with the feelings in their heart. Right. Um, But anyway, I really am anxious to hear about these twin studies. All right. So pretty much this was a situation where um, it was a while ago. So the medical, you know, knowledge wasn't it's still not great today on individuals, you know, going through stuff related to sex, surgery, and whatnot. Um, but they were twin boys who were born both, you know, fully normally developed genitalia. One of the boys, I don't know if it was during circumcision or something happened, oh, and no. they ended up cutting off <gasps> the majority of his penis. And this doctor suggested to the mother that there was no way he was going to live. No. They raised him as a girl. And the worst thing is, so he's got a twin brother, and then I I actually want to say they named him Christine, too, <gasps> which is kind of ironic. Oh, my gosh. Um, I could be wrong on that, but they raised them as as boy-girl twins. And oh, my God. How sad. they would go to this doctor. This is the, one of the saddest parts, too. Their parents thought they were doing the right thing. So Yeah, of course. I mean, you, know, you would never do that on purpose right. to screw a kid up or make them more confused or anything like that. But they never told the boy who they were forcing essentially to live as a girl what the situation was. But every, you know, twice a year or something like that, they were going and interviewing with this doctor because this doctor essentially wanted to use this as, a, part, of a as part of a study. And the saddest thing is this man always had feelings that he was a male he was a boy um and 
a heterosexual male and later on in life he found out what had gone on he transitioned essentially because they did have him kind of go through uh treatments to go through female puberty so he had to yeah he had to you know transition back to a male um but the the mental anguish that all of this caused he ended up taking his own life eventually which is just terrible yeah how brutal and i mean if nothing else this just goes to show that you are more than the sum of your parts yeah and i mean you can't just switch somebody's gender and who they are or tell them to stay one way and force it onto them and they're they're not gonna be fine right they're not and the poor parents i just think too i mean you think you're doing the right thing you think you're making the right choice especially probably back in the day when this happened i mean there just wasn't the research to back up um the type of stuff we're talking about today um that they're even today again like you said i mean there's a lack of information about kind of all these more sexual um issues Mm -hmm. but i mean back then you probably thought hey i'm doing the right thing here 100 percent. this kid's got a botched um you know circumcision and why not just raise him as a girl i mean oh it's just it's wrong but yeah you just i can't even imagine what Mm -hmm. they must have gone through and the twin as well i mean to feel like why not me why right. my brother who you know became my sister just all those feelings of confusion it's insane yeah very very sad so that kind of is a good springboard into um that one of the quote-unquote treatments for gender dysmorphia um or p- as part of the treatment for gender dysmorphia um there's really a big element of familial support yeah um and supporting that person through changes um in their gender expression um going through hormone therapy or surgery like we said um can also be used to assist in the changes um treatment also often includes counseling psychotherapy because the suicide rate unfortunately is extremely high among trans folks and that's another reason we want to be a voice a support system um something that trans folks can listen to and know that you're not alone um because about 40 percent of transgender adults in 2015 actually reported attempting suicide at some point um in their lives um and these are just much higher suicide rates almost nine times higher for trans and gender non-conforming folks than for the national average wow um and we think this high rate is probably the product of transphobic society sure um that isolates trans people and you know when trans people can't get the support and the resources um and they're surrounded by these messages of hate or um that you're wrong or bad if you're trans um the message of today which is trans day of visibility is that trans people aren't freakish they aren't wrong they aren't unlovable they're important members of society who should absolutely be celebrated um and if you go to our instagram We've been celebrating a different trans woman. We've chosen to focus specifically on trans women because this is a female podcast, um, not to discount the struggles that trans men have gone through as well. Um, But again, just girl power over here. We're trying to keep it all um, in the theme. We are celebrating a different woman every day leading up to Trans Day of Visibility. So if you want to visit that, you can see some of the different folks who we've spotlighted and um, their journeys to reaching their authentic selves. They've just made incredible changes in the trans community and in the community at large, just totally altering um, the public's sense of what it is to be trans and the acceptance that comes from that. 
Um, so in the spirit of Trans um, Visibility Day, we are celebrating Christine Jorgensen today. She was one of the women that we um, put a spotlight on on Instagram. She's an American trans woman who was the first person widely known in the States for having sex reassignment surgery. And Christine apparently knew from her teen years that she was trapped in the wrong body. Um, and actually, I noticed the photographs of her when she was a young man. Um it just shows the discomfort in her male body. Mm-hmm. She actually looks like the physical portrayal of a woman who's trapped in the wrong body. Um, but in any event, after a short time in the military, she found an article about a doctor who was experimenting with gender therapy and testing different hormones on animals to see how the gender of those animals was impacted. And Christine actually went through with um, the surgery and has just a fascinating history that we'll get into of acceptance and more curiosity, I thought, than hostility mm-hmm. in this yeah. country, um, which was really uplifting and interesting to see. Yeah, I I thought that too. So when I found this story at first, I a lot of the articles that I found, I was like, wow, it, it really is, you know, they're using the correct pronouns in the <laughs> articles, like just stuff like that. But then I did come across some other reactions that weren't so favorable. So she definitely, you know, she was a pioneer in this whole thing. Um, So she was born George William Jorgensen Jr. in 1926. She was born in the Bronx. She was the second child of carpenter and contractor uh, George William Jorgensen Sr. and his wife Florence Davis Hansen. Um, She described herself as a frail, a frail, blonde, introverted little boy who <laughs> ran from fist fights and rough and tumble games. Aww. So even back then, I think there probably wasn't a vocabulary for it. Like even folks today, aren't, you know, when they find the word transgender, they're like, oh, my God, that's me. <laughs> and so I think she probably, you know, just always knew there was something different about her, but just didn't have the words for it. So after graduating high school in 1945, she was drafted into the Army at age 19, where she served as an Army private. So it's, it's kind of ironic in, the, in that, for that time especially, because mm-hmm. to see someone who, what do you associate, you know, the Army during World War, right after World War II, you know, the most manly men. Yeah, macho. Right. So I think that was especially brave, again, for her to, not long after that, come out and say, this isn't me, you know? Yeah. Um, so after she was discharged, she went to school. Um, she wanted to study photography. She also studied at the Manhattan Medical and Dental Assistant School in New York City. And this was actually where she began learning about these hormone treatments and about this surgery because it was really something it wasn't available in the U.S. And it was something that was just not widely taught, discussed, talked about. Um, so during this time, she did her research, and she planned to go over to Sweden in 1950. So that, to me, is just crazy, too. Oh, like my gosh, The year right? 1950? That is, I mean, we've talked about the 50s before. We've right. talked about what that symbolizes um, in just women's rights, uh, you know, solely cisgendered um, women's rights. I mean, the 50s was, it was a completely different time. There yeah. was just not this vocabulary, like you said, um, not even a template for looking into 
the feelings that you had. Right. Um, at least now, I mean, you have the internet, you have so different resources. Yeah. I just can't imagine if you were having these feelings of confusion and anxiety and there's nowhere to turn, you know, you just hope that you come across some sort of reading material yeah. that, you know, hits home with you. Um, and but, it sounds like she was lucky enough to do that, at least working in the medical field, yeah. um, do this research. So she had family over in um, Copenhagen. So in 1950, this is where she was going. She was going to do a stopover there on her way to Sweden. And when she did the stopover, she actually met a doctor named Christian Hamburg. He was a Danish endocrinologist and specialist in rehabilitative hormonal therapy. Um, so I guess discussion amongst them ended up hitting it off and he kind of, you know, gave her all the info that she was really looking for and she ended up staying there and undergoing the surgery with him. Mm-hmm. And a fun fact too, she ended up cho- choosing her name Christine to honor him for completing oh, the surgery, I which I think was so cool. That. That's so cute. Yeah. Oh I just god, was like, oh my god, so that's sweet. so cool. Um, so he was actually the first person in her life to diagnose her as not homosexual but transgender so that again groundbreaking to have this vocabulary um so before so her whole surgery this whole transformation essentially took about two years before going undergoing either of the surgeries um she actually had over two or nearly two thousand hormone injections gosh that's a pain crazy wow So I found it interesting. I was looking into just her experience with Dr. Hamburg and kind of what they went through together and her journey. And it was amazing how apparently Dr. Hamburg, as soon as he started injecting her with various female hormones, he was shocked at how um, Christine already started to change form um like i think that that was such an important connection to make that um that our physical bodies are dictated so much by hormones oh um, in general and i mean these male female hormones that are you know that associated with one gender or the other they really do change you i mean that hormone therapy for a lot of people is, you know, kind of the final link between who they are and who they want to be, to be fully themselves. And it was amazing. I mean, this is this guy's research. This is his, you know, his baby, his life's work. Um, And he watched Christine change um, from having a male body to a female body. Wow. Kind of like as soon as the hormone therapy began right as soon as that took hold um so that was really fascinating because you know so often we think about um all right you know you're not gonna really look quote-unquote male or female until you get that surgery right but there's a lot going on with those hormones oh i mean and this is in no way to try to compare to what these individuals go through but I know even myself, the small amount of hormones with birth control. Oh, yeah. You know, can 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 throw you and, and you really can see a link. At least I know I can um, with different hormone levels and stuff Absolutely. like that. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, I, I get into thinking about even like hormones like insulin and hormones yeah. like melatonin. And I mean, hormones dictate everything about our physical bodies. Very and, true. You know, when you start messing around with those levels, big changes can happen. Yep. So it's it's neat to hear about that and kind of um, the beginning of that research that yeah. was being done. So 
they actually like had the wherewithal to send her to therapy. Um, really? During kind of this whole thing. She saw a psychologist. Was this over there? Yeah. So as part of her treatment, she saw this psychologist. This is very um, cutting edge because I just feel like it's super cutting edge. No wonder they're the similar. happiest people ever oh over there. Oh, my God. They, you and they me. know what to do. Right? Um, but the, apparently the psychologist was like totally convinced by um, the testimony that she gave. Sure. That she should proceed with the sex reassignment, should continue to dress as a female in right. public. Um, and also, I think this psychologist, I wish I wrote down his name, he, and I assume it's a he, maybe that was, you know, sexist to say that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this psychologist actually petitioned the Danish government to change the law so that they would allow castration for purposes of this operation. Wow. So, you know, apparently there was a law against castration. Um, and this guy had the wherewithal to say, nope, this woman um, was born into the wrong body and she deserves to get this surgery. This is the only way to go. Um, and... This is what needs to happen. So wow. we are going to go so far as to change some laws up in here to make this happen. I wonder, that probably makes sense, too, why this took two years then being over yeah, there. Yeah, that would. There was probably a lot going on during this time. I mean, tape. even the 2,000 injections alone would be a lot. Right. <laughs> oh, and two surgeries later. Um, she did eventually also get um, a vaginoplasty back in the U.S. once this became available. Um, so... Something that kind of shocked me that so I went through a lot of old newspaper articles. I also went through more current articles on her, but I didn't see this in those. I saw this in the newspaper that her parents, her her family, her whole family did not know that she was going over there for this surgery. They thought she was going over to visit and stay with family. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a and, good excuse. Yeah. I mean, it, it worked out that she had family over there and, um, you know, because I think it probably would have been a little bit more like what's going on you know why are you hanging over there for two years (laughs) um but essentially like two years later not long before she came back she sent them a letter and that's how they learned about the surgery and i'm super inspired by her parents response um so in one of the articles here's what her letter said it said i have changed changed very much as my photos will show but i want you to know that i am an extremely happy person and that the real me not the physical me has not changed. Oh. I know. But nature made a mistake, which I have which I have had corrected, and I am now your daughter. Oh. I know. Oh my gosh, I love this. And her it's so her, sweet. her parents um obviously were shocked by it at first, but they later told the press, her father said to the press, She is ours and we love her. Wow. Yeah, which is oh my crazy. Gosh, that like is... not the reaction I expected at all. That's so heartwarming. Yeah. Especially then, like for them to exactly. use the correct pronouns and to just accept, you know, this is how it is now and and how about Christine being able yeah. to say, all right, I've made this change. Right. Um, it's not my fuck up. It's nature's fuck up. Right. And I corrected it. So now things are right. And, you know. And I think it's crazy because I feel like we're both big fans of I Am Jazz. Yes. Oh, I love <laughs> I Am Jazz. Jazz, if you're listening. Oh, my God. Love you. Seriously. Please literally just send us a wave. We've watched Hello. it from the get-go. Oh, from first from first season. Yeah. Literally love her. Yeah. Love you. She pulled me out of a very dark time. <laughs> love Jazz yes. so much. Big fans. Big fans. <laughs> um, but I feel like this explanation that Christine is giving in the 1950s is even the same, exp- like, same way that Jazz is having to explain this to people now. So true. So 
it's kind of crazy in a way that it you know stuff hasn't caught up and and it's still such a an anomaly to people Mm -hmm. but it's also amazing seeing that christine was able to articulate it as well as she did back then with Mm -hmm. the lack of you know medical support and knowledge that we now at least have more of today yeah she was so ahead of her time that way it's really um neat to see yeah um, so she actually really wasn't looking for the, the publicity and notoriety that she got. Uh, so the story broke when she was over there still on December 1st, 1952 from the New York Daily News. Uh, the article read, XGI becomes blonde beauty, operations transform Bronx youth. And the thing that, again, I only found this in one of these old newspaper articles was that she again, was not looking for publicity. Um, She learned, however, that a friend of the family had, she learned this several years later, she learned that a friend of the family had sold the story to the Daily News for $200. (sighs) Which is, like, to out somebody like that. Yeah, are you kidding me to take that away from somebody? Like, it's just sick. I don't know. Oh, that is really sick. Also, $200, like, come on. (laughs) I know. This is worth more than that. Well, I will say Christine had the last laugh because. Oh, good. She kind of. You know, she came back and she really wanted to just continue on with her life and she wanted to become a photographer. She quickly oh. learned that the fascination with her would not allow her to just do that. Be a normal person. Yeah. yeah. So she embraced it. And actually, while she was over there, um, still again in Denmark, she sold the rights to her life story to the Hearst Corporation's American Weekly Magazine for $20,000. So hey. screw your little 200. Yeah, good for you, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Turn yeah. it on its head. Right. So, you know, I, I I read a quote too somewhere when she, we'll get into it, but she started performing um, and somebody asked her, well, don't you think people are really just going to be coming to see you and, and, you know, fulfill their curiosity and not really coming for the, the show? And she's like, People are going to look at me and they're going to want to see me anyway. I might as well make them pay for it. All right. (laughs) Good for her, which is kind of the right attitude to have about it. My gosh. Yep. Yep. Um, So she returned to New York in February of 1953. And you can actually see some video clips of this. I don't know if you saw it. It's pretty crazy. Like, she looks gorgeous. She's, like, all dolled up in her furs and, you know. She um, was very real looking. I mean, she was always dressed to the nines, always. um, She looks like such a celebrity. She does, yeah. Um, And it's just, I mean, again, like, it's so clear. And there are a lot of different kinds of women, a lot of different kinds of men, um, and a lot of different people in between um, of all different varying views. But... I just think this is so clearly somebody who was meant to be a woman. Yeah. There's just no bones about it. I feel the same way about Jazz of I Am Jazz, right. where you look at her and you just think, oh my gosh, it's so clear this right. is a girl. Yep. And who cares what's happened once, what's downstairs, you know, what she was born as or what she looked like and what she was assigned at birth based on a doctor taking a peek at what was going right. on between the legs. I mean, who cares? This is a woman and, you know, she's out here strutting her stuff and being a woman in the case of Christine with all her crazy outfits. Oh she was... A luxurious lady. She, she, like you said, she really did look like, if you see photos of her, like one of those old Hollywood kind of movie star looks with the the makeup and the hair and the furs and all. So this glamorous. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you can tell though, if you see this little clip, she's probably a little taken aback because there are flash bulbs and like tons of reporters asking her. She got 
Hollywood um, offers while she was over there. And she's like, no, I have no interest in doing this. She, she was not looking to, you know, go into Hollywood. So after learning that she couldn't pursue her career as a photographer, um, she ended up going on to become a nightclub singer, dancer, storyteller, um, and was highly featured within the news. Um, but another thing, it's like you can see this side of her still where she just wants to come back and be normal. When she came back, one of the first things she did was spend some of that $20,000 to build her parents a house in New York. And her father was a carpenter and built the house himself. I don't, some of these like little tidbits are just like. So sweet. (laughs) Like this family, I don't know. It's it's very heartwarming. It is. It's a very heartwarming story. Um, And so she always, this was always really her home base. She always lived here, returned here until her parents' death in, her father died in uh, 1966, her mother in 1967. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, she eventually moved out to California. Um, yeah, so like you were saying, it, it was really interesting to see that so much of the media attention seemed to be just kind of curiosity and fairly respectful. Um, but I definitely did find um, some instances that were not so respectful. Mm, I'd be shocked if there weren't some. Uh, yeah, I, I just I'm surprised that they weren't more reported about. I don't know. I just expected the press to be a lot. Yeah. I don't know, just a, a lot worse. Um, but actually, one f- fun little note before, again, the Scandinavians do it correctly. Uh, <laughs> when she returned, not long after, on March 7th, she was named Woman of the Year by the Scandinavian Societies of Greater New York. I love that. Just like, they How get sweet. it. sweet. They just they get totally it. They totally get it. Yeah. <laughs> she's a woman. Like, yeah, they she's just, a woman. She's Woman of the Year. They just get it. Um, when she went on tour with her act, um, one of the – funny little things that i saw she would dance and sing to her personal theme song i enjoy being a girl um oh my gosh and somebody had asked her to in the press um when people ask how she could suddenly become an actress and a performer she replies honey i played the longest role in history i was acting as a man for 26 years i love that i don't know it just like she has a sense of wit and humor about her that you can see in some of these articles too yeah um but again, she did have some negative, um, you know, reaction when she had signed up to perform at the Sahara Hotel in Las Vegas. She arrived and got a letter sent to her door canceling the contract. And it was Ugh. addressed, Dear Sir. It said that they were canceling the contract because she had misrepresented herself as a woman. Wow. And Meanwhile, I- when I hate to say it, I mean... If the other person's point was true and the folks were just showing up to see somebody who had transitioned, oh, they, like, yeah, hello, they, it's the whole point. They also, know the whole, yeah, they know what this contract is about. Yeah, like, and in Las Vegas, of all places, as if they're the ones to uphold the moral high ground over okay. here. Like, come on. I know. Um, and then here's again another, I don't know, she just, she's got some great, like, quips jabs. here. Yeah. Um, so another article said, in her last performance in Washington, when she was billed at the Casino Royale as the world's most talked about personality, um, Inspector Roy E. Blick of the Morals Squad oh God, uh, forbade her to use the ladies' room, saying that she may think she is a woman, uh, but he had his doubts about it. And then her wow. response was, he made a horse's ass of himself. <laughs> <laughs> well, and what's funny, I mean, that's sort of a springboard for, and again, that's a whole other podcast um, episode, but 
sort of the bathroom related issues that yeah. are had by transgender folks um, nowadays, especially. Um, well, I guess I shouldn't say especially. It goes, it cuts both ways for sure. Um, but it's just shocking the hangups, the quote unquote moral hangups that folks have about transgender people using the restroom that is associated with the gender that the person is, um, rather than what's going on downstairs and how upset people get. You start to think, I mean, what's going on in your head that that you're so upset about somebody in their own personal stall, you're in your own personal stall. No one's hurting yeah, anybody. We're all just going to the bathroom. Right. I mean, I'm no. sorry if I drop a deuce and it smells worse <laughs> than yours, but I don't right. think that's associated with being transgender. Yeah, I'm sorry. If this is somehow tr- tied to the whole myth that women don't fart, then, right. <laughs> then hmm, that's been broken a long time ago yeah. by me personally. So, uh, um, Yeah, so she went on to have this great career, um, but she also wanted to get married. And at one point in New York in 1959, she applied for a marriage license with Howard J. Knox, who was a Washington, D.C. statistician. But then um, less than a week later, they were denied the marriage license because uh, they were said to have inadequate proof of her being a female. So um, pretty much her birth certificate still had male on it. And so she was denied this marriage license. And the saddest thing, too, is that Howard said they they ended up then just calling off their marriage, their relationship, everything. And he said, I can never get together with Christine, so I've decided it's best to cancel the marriage. Uh, Which is just so sad, too, because, I mean, I, I get in society, especially at that time, having that whole, and even today, it's extremely important to people, but I think having that nuclear family institutionalized um the fact that he couldn't go on with even their relationship because of this it's i don't know that just was really sad to me yeah oh that was what a loss yeah so there were several um movies made about her she wrote her own autobiography in uh, i believe it was the 70s she after having a very successful performance career in the 50s and 60s traveling across the country she went on to become a speaker and spoke at women's events at universities and then just kind of enjoyed her life out there in California. Um, but something even more recent, her story is definitely not lost. It's wasn't something that I, you know, had heard about like you hear about Caitlyn Jenner, obviously, but it's still a story that's out there and being kept alive. Uh, in 2006, there was an off-Broadway show called Christine Jorgensen Reveals, Ooh. Um, and it was all based on kind of her interview, one of the big interviews that she had done. So it it is, it's like her story, I think to me, is just amazing. It's yeah. just very inspiring. Especially in the time to be confronted with all these different obstacles and just to barrel through them and have a sense of humor on top of it. Yeah. I mean, my God, who can do that with a smile on their face? I mean, this whole process must have just been excruciatingly painful for her. But yeah. she really walked through it with grace and dignity. And because of that, I think she was given such a nicer reception than you would have expected. I mean, again, you know, she was met with some obstacles, some difficulties, some people who weren't as forward thinking. Um but, you know, I think the world embraced her because she embraced herself. Yeah. And um, 
it's really an interesting lesson to learn and having the support of her family too kind of like you said at the beginning of the episode having that family support huge huge and just I was so happy to read that for her that her family you know obviously they didn't know what was going on for two years and that's not necessarily you know what you're expecting to see when you get a letter but the fact that they just turned and accepted her and loved her for who she was no questions asked I think was just amazing um, so what an inspiring story. I really think that um, Christine Jorgensen is just such a great example of a transgender woman who paved the way for others like her. Um, she normalized being transgender at a time that it was not thought of as normal, not even part of the jargon um, of the time. And she just totally revamped society by being exactly herself which is so important and so we just in this spirit of um, the whole purpose of transgender day of visibility we just want to keep this ball rolling and keep folks of all different backgrounds especially you know women of all different backgrounds um, feeling like they are involved feeling like they're not alone and feeling like you have somewhere to go and a podcast to listen to with two um girls who are your allies and um, who are spirited and who are behind you. So in that whole spirit, today on our Instagram, we've posted a special version of our Betsy Boss flag. Normally it's in hot pink and white. Um, And today we have the um, special colors that signify the transgender um, flag. And if you want to be mentioned in next week's episode, or if you have an idea for next week's episode, we ask that you just put a comment, any comment at all, um, under that little flag on our Instagram, and we will shout you out next week. Um, If you'd rather not be shouted out, please just say so, um, or tell us you have an idea or something different. But we want to include you as much as possible in our podcast, because our podcast is about you as women female listeners with female issues that run the gamut from wearing adult diapers to (laughs) you know getting the first sex change operation so we just really want to build that sense of community and get you all as involved as possible so again just comment under our special trans flag version of the betsy boss flag on our instagram which is at betsy boss podcast and we'll be happy to shout you out next week Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Betsy Boss Podcast. If you'd like to find us online, our Instagram and Facebook are at Betsy Boss Podcast. Our Twitter is at Betsy Boss Pod. Our website is BetsyBossPodcast.com. And if you'd like to email us, we are at BetsyBossPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.